Welcome to Bicycle Retail Radio, the bicycle industry podcast that brings retailers, vendors, advocates, and thought leaders to the mic for honest discussions about the latest issues facing retailers while taking an in-depth look at the person within the profession. I'm Chad Picard, NBDA board member, owner of Spoken Sport, and today we are talking about getting 30 million kids on bikes. The conversation is with Scott Fitzgerald, CEO of Buddy Pegs. Buddy Pegs, on the surface, is a framework of support to help parents introduce their children to cycling. Over the next hour, listen in and learn how you can support the growth of cycling at all ages, provide opportunities for youth to take part in cycling programming that's retailer-led, and have fun while doing it. Let's get into it. Hello. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Really looking forward to this conversation. Buddy Pegs is considered the leading U.S. authority on preschool and elementary age cycling education. For the past few months, the NBDA has been highlighting youth cycling development and how and why retailers should focus energy here. Your insight is of tremendous value. Welcome, Scott. How are you? I'm doing great, Chad. Thanks for having me. Good. Uh, excited to have you. I love seeing kids on bikes and seeing programming for kids, just getting them out of the house and getting them active. So I think you may know a thing about that, maybe. We've been putting some effort into it, for sure. It, it certainly looks like it. Well, let's just dive in real quick. CEO of Buddy Pegs, college in Vermont, training wheels came off at four years old. A lot of stuff in your background. Give me a short resume of, of what you've been up to in your lifetime. You bet. It's really been centered around the bike. As I reflect back, you know, I'm sort of approaching midlife here, I'm probably already in midlife. And looking back, I recognize that the bicycle has really been sort of a through line for my whole life. So the early ages were all about neighborhood riding on bikes with friends. And that was really what defined my childhood. I did put it aside for a long time, as many people do. Once I got my driver's license, the bike wasn't significant anymore. But I found it again in college. And I chose the University of Vermont really for the outdoor adventure aspect of that college. Great school to go to, but I was really there to explore the mountains and get out and play. Late in college, I was introduced to mountain biking by a college roommate. He said, hey, you really should try this, check it out. And it was just an immediate reminder of how much I loved riding, even though I'd put it aside for years. So I got the bug pretty hard and I got really hooked on mountain biking as I graduated college and decided to really focus my next chapter on biking because I was graduating college without a real plan. And I took the advice of, hey, you know, follow what you love you know, and everything will work out. So at the time I thought, what do I really love right now? I love mountain biking. So I went to Southern Vermont and got a job in Mount Snow as a mountain bike instructor. Realized pretty quickly that where I wanted to be was in the shop because all the cool guys were working in the shop, listening to great music and drinking coffee and tinkering on bikes. And I sort of nudged my way in there and had an opportunity to really benefit hugely from some amazing mentorship from the mechanics that were in there. It's a great group of guys who taught me how to be a bike mechanic in what I think is like the proper way. You know, it was like a really great experience in that shop. And I realized I wasn't ready to stop doing that. So I had some friends who were moving out to Portland, Oregon. I wanted to go West, kind of explore the Western lifestyle and didn't really care where I was going, but they were going to Portland. So I hitched on with that crew, wound up out there, worked in a couple of shops, but wound up at the Fat Tire Farm out there and had a great time, again, being mentored by just a great group of mechanics in Portland who help me hone my chops and develop into sort of a master mechanic. And by the time I landed in my next geographic location, which was Jackson Hole, Wyoming, I was a service manager of a shop there and was running the show myself, which was a big accomplishment for me. I, I came up from not really being mechanically inclined, or maybe I was when I was a kid, but I didn't really have a lot of mechanical experience. And through a lot of great mentorship and, and training, I was able to turn into a, a service manager which I loved. And I still, my love of bikes is really grounded in the mechanic and service side of bikes. So that led to a desire to kind of run my own show. So in 2002, I decided to go out on my own and start a one-man bicycle repair shop, you know, and just hang the shingle and see what would happen and had the itch to try out being an entrepreneur and a business owner. Thought it would be a summer or two, you know, just sort of like a little stopgap. I was kind of ready to be out of the bike industry at that point and, and figured this was just a transition out into a business career. But the shop just kept being busy and I just kept servicing bikes. The next thing you know, people wanted to buy bikes from me and buy helmets and buy shoes. And at the same time, I started dating my now wife and together we grew that into Fitzgerald's Bicycles. And we put in 15 years of growing that shop and 
had a really great experience developing it into a full service bike shop across all the categories and just really, really an amazing experience with that journey. But that ended up leading to a desire to kind of evolve again and, and shift gears again. And as we were running that shop, we realized that what we were most passionate about was the community development aspects of running a bike shop and how it really brought people together. It really strengthened the community. And specifically, it started to be apparent to us that it strengthened families. And we started to really get curious about everything the bike industry was saying and has been saying for so long. These aren't new topics, right? I mean, we've been talking for yeah. <laughs> decades about how we need to get more kids on bikes. Yeah. Well, we started to really think more about that and recognize that we want to take more of a role, serve in bike advocacy or help be change makers in biking at a bigger level, at a national level. And we thought, what are we really doing as an industry to fulfill this desire to get more kids on bikes, get more families on Like everyone's talking about it, but what are we doing about it? And it was actually, I think it was the 2012 Interbike and John Burke gave a keynote address at the Interbike breakfast. We had this really strong call to action, sort of a call to arms, you know, like classic John Burke call to arms. Yeah. And I walked out of that breakfast and I was like, yeah, somebody's got to do something about this. My head's in kids' bikes right now and youth cycling. And I'm done with sitting through seminars talking about, we got to do something. Like, I'm going to go do something. So I started talking to my wife about, what can we do? What's our little contribution? And we had just had our child at the time and there was no kids' books about biking that really hit what we were looking to expose our child to. I mean, there's definitely some cool kids' books on bikes out there. So I shouldn't say there wasn't any. But there wasn't a simple like alphabet book about bikes that highlighted all the great aspects of biking. So I don't want to get too far ahead. I'm sort of going long yeah. here, but you're, you're checking off to... all my questions. I know, oh, I know. Fine, Sorry, that's fine. what led to body pegs. So the yeah, journey yeah, yeah. really brings us up to real time now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so you mentioned just some community development, things like that. And you were mayor of a city of Victor, Idaho. Yeah, I was, yeah. you know, it's a small town. So I always like to be, you know, really upfront about that. There's only yeah. a few thousand yeah. people and sort of everyone takes a turn, you know, but, yeah. but that was a great experience. And it really was born out of, again, just wanting to take action because there were a couple of community issues going on. And I felt like the city council at the time wasn't really working in the best interests of the citizens. So what started as just attending more meetings and being more proactive led to running for office and as a city councilman, and then eventually as mayor. And it was amazing. It was sort of like grad school. You know, I learned so much in a short amount of time. And we were able to do, me and the staff and the colleagues on city council, we were able to do some really amazing things for biking and walking safety in that community and felt like we made a difference. What years were, was that that you were the mayor? That was 2008 through 2010. I was mayor okay. or... Yeah, there was two years of council, two years of mayor. So okay. it was started in 2008 through 2012-ish. Yeah. What were some of the cycling issues in that community? Well, there's a lot of cycling community issues, but the one that everyone sort of talks about and still I think I'm somewhat legendary for in a, sm in a small town. It wasn't really necessarily my doing, but I was the mayor. So it kind of got hung on me. But we listened hard to the community and the community was really me being one of the community members, upset about traffic on Main Street. We had this really wide Main Street that actually is a state highway that runs right through the town. And it was two lanes going either direction. And it was the only place to pass. The state highway coming into town was a one lane road. And then it went to two lanes when you got into town. So if you're stuck behind a pokey driver, you know, downtown Main Street was a place to zip around them. So there were a couple of pedestrian deaths and it just felt really daunting to cross that street as a pedestrian. It felt really daunting to ride on it as a cyclist. And that was the number one community issue of the day. And, and one of the things I ran on as councilman and mayor was to try to really help alleviate that issue. Well, this is a whole nother podcast topic, but the quick story is we had an opportunity to restripe the street. So the, the town didn't really have any money to do any major infrastructure to change the curb alignment or really narrow the street physically. But there was a paving project going on, which would put a blank slate of asphalt down and we could change the painting configuration. So we worked with the highway department and Idaho transportation department suggested that in order to consume space, we consider changing the parking orientation to back in parking, back in angled parking versus nose in angled parking. Love it. <laughs> that would allow us to put a bike lane and have a safe bike lane. So nobody was backing up into the bike lane blindly. 
because it's much safer to back across a bike lane when you're first parking this than when you're leaving your parking space and consume a lot of pavement. So just let's calm the street down, take away the two lanes, put a center lane for turning, back in parking, bike lanes. And it turns out it was just such, such an obvious solution presented by the engineers that we went for it. And it was great. And it still is in existence like that today. Amazing community backlash around it. <laughs> I can imagine. <laughs> a lot. Change is yeah. hard. Change is hard. Change is hard. But there's never been any enforcement on that back-end parking. A lot of people really grouse about it still, but there's 80 or 90% compliance with it. It's a safe cycling community now. You can walk across that street and not feel terrified. So I feel like it was a really big win. Yeah, that's a huge win. I love traffic calming stories. It's typically not like a bridge or a new road. It's just, hey, let's put some planters here or even... Let's create a fog line a little closer to the middle of the road. And yeah, that's, I love it. So at some point, you guys started traveling across the country, doing some family programs with your wife, Janine, and you ended up in Bentonville. Yeah. You know, where I left off with that story about starting a children's book, we knew we had the itch to get out of bicycle retail and we wanted to do something different. And we didn't know exactly what that was, but we figured we would just take a shot at writing a children's book about bikes and just put the feelers out there about what that would be like to have a media company that was focused around youth cycling, all built on the belief that media drives behavior. And that what we witnessed with our son zipping a Hot Wheels car around the living room and getting really obsessed with Cars the movie was to us an eye-opening moment. We were like, we're not car haters. We own cars, we drive cars. But the first character that our child falls in love with is a car. Like this just doesn't feel right, you know? Why can't he fall in love with a bike, a bike-related character? Oh, there isn't really any for him to fall in love with. So we rode BS for Bicycles. We kickstarted it while we still owned Fitzgerald's Bicycles, had a successful Kickstarter campaign, brought that book to market, self-published it, and started selling it through bicycle retailers around the country. We're really thankful that QBP picked it up and then Trek picked it up. So it's distributed nationally. And we wrote a follow-up book to that. We started doing a children's podcast series around the characters in those books so that parents would have an opportunity to infuse more cycling culture during the car rides or bedtime and be an alternative to screens. So that was going well. But what we kept hearing, we started doing trade shows and we were boothing at bike races and we were going to book fairs and library events and all kinds of stuff trying to promote the book. And we started meeting more and more families outside of our community. And we kept hearing over and over again that it was just hard to teach their kids how to ride a bike. They didn't know what to do. They were struggling. It wasn't working out. The most bike-centric, bike-passionate parents were failing at teaching their kids how to ride a bike. So that really was another aha moment where we realized, yeah, there really isn't any structure nationally around youth cycling education at the earliest ages. It's amazing we have balanced bikes pretty well adopted now, at least within the bike industry. There's still a mystery to a lot of families, but The technology has really come along. The way kids learn to ride has evolved, but there's no structured curriculum and just awareness around how to do it. So we started just trying it. We started beta testing some curriculum, running some micro events in our community and getting a lot of great positive feedback. So we decided that that was the direction we wanted to take the company in for the time being, have the media characters, the dogs and cats who ride bikes in our stories be supporting brand elements, and we'll continue to roll out more media products as we go. But really, what was needed from the customer, from the families, from the parents was education. So we started with balanced bike classes, and that's evolved quite a bit since then. But one day, Janine, my wife, she said, we're not going to be able to figure this out here in Victor, Idaho. We got to get on the road. We got to try this out in other markets. We got to see if we can do this in bigger communities and get feedback. And it was sort of like a brilliant piece of entrepreneur advice, right? Like you got to get out and talk to your customers. Yeah. So because in Victor, Idaho, they park backwards. Yeah, exactly. Clearly. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So therefore they know how to ride a bike just fine. Sure. Sure. So she said, let's rent our house, move into an RV and start doing this around the country for a year. We'll homeschool our son and we'll just have a big adventure. It's like, all right, let's do it. Great idea. So next thing you know, we had a trailer full of bikes. We had womb bicycles support us for that trip. We called it the Raise Riders Tour. We had a wrapped trailer full of demo bikes, ramps, cones, all the stuff to run classes. And we started to forge out into a lot of different states doing these one-day or two-day workshops for families and really evolving our curriculum, learning how to teach kids bikes at different ages and different milestones. And to get to your Bentonville question, 
as we were traveling around the country, we were sort of looking for a place to land buddy pegs. Like we knew that it needed to be base camped somewhere other than like a, a ski town nestled away up in the mountains to make the impact that we wanted to make. But we thought it was going to be a yeah, major metro area. I mean, we were looking all over the Bay Area. We were looking at Las Vegas. We were really thinking hard about Austin, Texas, but none of them felt right. And we were sort of like almost a little deflated, like, well, where are we going to go? You know, like this doesn't, I don't know. It's just not, it's not playing out the way we thought it would play out. And again, Janine said, well, hey, let's just take a couple of days to think about it. And we're near Bentonville, Arkansas. I've heard so much about it. Let's go in there and just take a few days to mountain bike as a family and just decompress. And of course, yeah, I was on board for that and wanted to see Bentonville firsthand. Did not think it was on the list of places to move to, was not in consideration of a new home base, but it was just so obvious when we got here that it was the place to be and where Buddy Pegs ought to be base camped out of. And yeah, we ended up moving here. Yeah. And I I mean, I've been there enough times. <laughs> a friend of mine moved there and, and yeah, there's a stereotype for Arkansas and Bentonville doesn't fit it, but it's a beautiful city. So you've been there a while. So you opened up Buddy Pegs in what year then? So that was 2019. We came okay. through here in March of 2019, and then we moved here in September, late August. Okay. Awesome. Yep. And I've been to both of your stores or your 8th Street Marketplace and the one on the Highway 71. Yeah. Right down yeah. at Wishing Springs yeah, on the border of Bella Vista. Yeah. 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 So you've moved to Bentonville. You've started carrying bikes. You opened up your shop and you've, you have a goal that you created. And it's, it's a big goal. It's on your website. So you've told everybody about it. And it's 20 million kids on bikes by 2030. Yeah. Yeah. That was born also out of the feeling that we needed a stronger call to action as an industry. And we were thinking about, I love thinking about business development and big, hairy, audacious goals. And how do you align people around behavior change? And this is what we're trying to do, Chad, right? Like we're trying to change behaviors in a big way, but we're not going to do it alone. We buddy pegs, we're not going to be exclusively responsible for 20 million kids on bikes in the US. But how can we all rally around some big goal? So when the goal was developed, we were looking at as much data as we could about youth cycling participation. And the best data out there that we've come across, and I know People for Bikes has new data now too, and that's going to get a lot more traction as that data gets more fortified with more years of data going into it. But the U.S. Sporting Goods Association has been doing a participation study for 35 plus years, right? It's peer-reviewed, statistically sound data on participation across all the different categories of sports, right? So bicycling being one of them. So in the year 2000, there were about 17 million kids on bikes. Pre-COVID, everywhere from you know, 2014 to 2019, that number was down to 10 million. Right. So we went from 17 million kids actively participating in cycling a year to 10 million. Now, we just want to be clear those numbers are kids seven to 17 years old. So there isn't great data below seven years old, but that's a trend line, right? We can use that and we can say, well, what's the trend in cycling? All right. So we had 17 million kids on bikes in the year 2000. Now we've got 10 million kids on bikes. I'm sure COVID's going to change those numbers when that data gets reviewed. We haven't looked at that, but the population has grown 12% over that time. So really as a percentage, we've halved the number of kids actively participating in cycling in really one generation. We should be really upset about that as a bike industry. We should be talking about that a lot. And I know we are, but it's a massive problem, right? So what can we do to set a goal to correct that? Well, couldn't we at least set a goal collectively that we get back to where we used to be in the last generation, 25 years ago-ish? We had nearly 20 million kids on bikes, but the population has grown 17 million, so now it's 20 million. So that's where we came up with that. Like We haven't done a lot of work to really spread that goal and, and try to get others behind it. We've just been doing the work ourselves to try to make some strides that will help create some systematic approaches to youth cycling education. But I would love to see the industry really think hard about adopting a goal like that or that goal and just say, let's not allow this to continue and let's make sure we at least get back to where we used to be. What do you think the driver is that's keeping kids off bikes? Is it a wrong wheel size? Is it a bottom bracket standard that kids didn't like? <laughs> it's one of my favorite questions. Yeah. I'm really glad you asked it. And I have a hypothesis. 
it's impossible to really say for sure if this is the reason why, but I strongly believe it's not because of all the things that often get pointed to, digital technology, the digital childhood, all that. And I'll back up by saying, I wasn't sure when we hit the road and we really launched Buddy Pegs, I wasn't sure if kids still liked to bike. And I was nervous about that. I was like, here we are, we sold up one business, we're launching another business, and it's all predicated on the belief that kids actually want to ride bikes. And hey, maybe bikes have passed their prime. Maybe it's the hula hoop now, you know, and kids don't want to ride anymore. Well, I can say absolutely after teaching nearly 5,000 kids, kids still love bike riding. Bike riding is incredibly relevant in childhood and kids absolutely love it if they're introduced to it the right way. Okay. So why aren't kids riding? Well, when we were growing up, I'll bet you would say the same thing. Most people do. Most adults say bikes were freedom, right? They were neighborhood freedom. You got on your bike, you started to explore, you were with your friends. And next thing you know, you were traveling all around the neighborhood out of the watchful eye of mom and dad, and you were going on all kinds of adventures. That was childhood for me. Okay, well, learning to ride a bike still was awful. Like, I didn't have a great learn to ride experience. My parents didn't know what they were doing. I remember it being full of falls, agony. I was frustrated. I wasn't getting it. I was feeling like a failure, right? Like, it wasn't just some magical, blissful moment where all of a sudden, dad, let's go to the seat and I'm pedaling off into the sunset. No, I had to fall a bunch and crash and my parents didn't know how to really teach it. They were just doing the typical parent thing of running behind with hand on the seat. But I was motivated because I knew that if I learned how to ride that bike, I was going to be with the bigger kids riding around the neighborhood and I was going to have freedom and I was going to have all this adventure. Parents stopped letting their kids have adventure out of their sight. That's not a thing in modern childhood. Parents are so nervous about letting their kids out of their sight. So no longer is that motivation present. Kids aren't motivated by neighborhood freedom on the bike. So parents who still don't know how to teach their kid how to ride a bike still feel like biking is relevant. And most parents feel like their child should know how to ride a bike. It's like swimming, right? It's an important life skill. They go out and they try to teach them how to ride. It's full of crashing and tears and pressure. And the kid's over it, doesn't know why mom or dad wants them to ride a bike, doesn't see the benefit to it. It's just this pressure to perform a challenging thing. And what's the best outcome? Oh, now I can ride circles for mom and dad in my driveway or right in front of the street. So without that motivation, kids aren't pushing through the challenge. And parents struggle with so much these days, right? It's hard to be a parent. The last thing you need is another battle. So if teaching your kid how to ride a bike is a battle, most parents are going to skip the battle and choose out of it, opt out of it. So what we've seen in our classes and in other educators around the country too, we're not the only ones teaching learning to pedal classes. There's a lot of great people doing work like this around the country. But structured education, just like any other activity, leads to nothing but a joyful experience. Like when kids come in and learn how to pedal in our classes, it's joyful. It's fun. It's not stressful. It's not full of tears. It's not full of crashing and injury. And then kids love it. They think it's amazing because they're controlled, they're piloting this incredible machine by themselves. And that sense of freedom then does come back. But I think we can't leave it up to untrained parents to try to teach kids how to ride and keep cycling relevant in childhood. Do you see, I mean, my generation or maybe our generation, the generation after, a lot of parents didn't, like, I don't think they got a bike when they were growing up. And so that love for cycling or that freedom, they never really experienced it. And whether it was video games or playing football at school or whatever, it, it was something else other than being on a bike. And now all of a sudden you have kids that through a friend or maybe a program at school get introduced to a bike and parents, they don't like, I learned by just trying. I could not tell someone how to bunny hop, but I can do it. I can't tell someone how to navigate a trail, but I could do it just trial and error, just brute force, just over and over again. Is that a similar experience that you're having with parents is that they just don't know how to ride a bike and therefore they can't teach their kids, but there is an excitement that their kids have for the bike. Yeah. I think it's a compounding effect. I think you're totally right. Yeah. Every generation that has a reduction in youth cycling is going to lead to more in the next generation because then the parents don't have the direct experience themselves. What we hear a lot from parents is that even if they don't know how to ride, they still hold on to this belief that in order to be a good parent, one of the winning moves in parenting to be a successful parent is that your kid can ride a bike, even if they didn't, and they might feel bad that they can't, so they want their kid to. So yeah, I think it's a really big piece of it. And the beauty of bikes, one of 
the amazing things about bikes. And one of the incredible assets that the bike industry has is this pre-built in desire from parents to get their kids to ride, right? What others like swimming, right? Swimming is the other sport that kind of owns that too. But most other verticals in youth sports would kill to have all the parents around the country just feel like their kid ought to know how to play football or basketball or baseball or soccer, right? It's almost a universal truth that parents want their kids to figure out how to learn how to ride a bike and it still feels like a meaningful part of childhood. So we need to leverage that asset. We need to really think about that and not ignore that incredible opportunity that we have to really communicate to those parents in a meaningful way. That's great. So I want to talk a little bit about the programming and some of the classes and, and the skills that are learned by the kids, but where does the name Buddy Pegs come from? I mean, I have an idea in my head, having done lots of crazy things on a bike with a buddy and pegs, but where did the name come from? Yeah, you know, I grew up in, in the suburbs of Boston and I've realized now with this name that not everybody regionally was using the term Buddy Pegs, but pegs on the back of my BMX bike growing up were Buddy Pegs, you know, take a friend for a ride, jump on the Buddy Pegs. And when we were thinking about a name for the company, it sort of resonated because we want to bring people along for the ride, right? So it's a little bit of play on that old expression of buddy pegs. Perfect. Love it. Okay. So the classes that you teach, give me just a, a review of maybe what some of the classes are and the skills that kids learn. Because it's not just bike skills. It's just not how to balance. There's other skills involved, right? Yeah, for sure. We say bike skills plus life skills. So we have classes starting at really 18 months old. 18 months up to 11 years old. So we focus on the preschool category. So that's kids under five. In the preschool classes, we do balance bike classes, learn to pedal classes, and then we do family bike clubs that have a lot of different skill levels to them. So all of our preschool classes are parents involved unless we're at a preschool specifically. So we actually do embedded programming at preschools where our coaches bring bikes, ramps, all the equipment to a preschool, and then teachers bring out waves of preschoolers during the school day. And obviously parents aren't there for that, but it's a shared experience. The preschool classes typically where moms and dads are there really with our goal of teaching them how to teach their kid how to ride and how to play bikes with their kids so that they have that knowledge that they can bring home and actually create a family experience. And then in elementary ages, which is five and up, we do learn to pedal classes, summer camps, and bike clubs. So our bike clubs pick up where learn to pedal left off. So we have a rating system. So our animal characters in our books and podcasts that sort of inform our brand, uh, we played off of that. And we talk about paws, like dog paws and cat paws, you know, on their feet. So we have paw levels. So we have a, a rating system that starts at zero paw and then goes one paw, two paw, all the way up to five paw. A two paw rider is a wobbly peddler. So we do classes for the kids that are pedaling without training wheels. We never use training wheels. So they're pedaling and they're independently riding, but they're not ready for off-road riding yet. And they're just learning how to ride safely on greenway pathways or low traffic neighborhood streets. And then a three-paw rider can go farther, can climb some hills, can control speed on descents, is starting to dabble with some mountain biking if that's available, if there's trail riding available. And then the four and five-paw riders, when mountain biking is available, like here in Bentonville, that's intermediate and advanced mountain biking. So we really teach all the skills from learn to pedal all the way up into advanced mountain bike skills. If there's not mountain biking available for in a community, then we'll just ride longer distances on paved surfaces. We'll talk more about street safety and navigating different terrain that way. So those are bike clubs that happen all year round. So we're year round programming. And then in the summer, we do a whole bunch of summer camps. So we do everything from learn to pedal up through advanced mountain biking summer camps. Can I go to one of those camps? <laughs> yeah, bike summer camp coach. sounds great. You come coach for us, Chad. We need you. <laughs> I'll send you my contact information and my resume. And you even have a STEM class, science, technology, engineering, and math. Yeah, we would pick that up from USA BMX. So USA BMX okay. has developed some really incredible curriculum, a couple of different curriculum sets, one of which is STEM BMX. So it's a series of experiments using BMX bikes. So it's a little bit of an atypical bike camp. Well, I mean, bike camps are atypical to begin with, but <laughs> it's not a go out and ride. Let's, let's change that. <laughs> that, that yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So the BMX STEM camps are more along the lines of sharing a BMX bike and campers do experiments like tire pressure, rolling resistance, using cycling computers, worksheets, things like that. And that's a really cool way to introduce some STEM 
obviously activities into cycling and leverage the popularity of STEM right now. And I mean, for good reasons, all the STEM activities are phenomenal and, and bikes are a great companion piece to that. Growing up, we did our, a similar class in the back alley. It was how many kids we could jump over and not injure anybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got right? psychology. We got to add yeah. psychology to STEM yeah. too. Yeah. The fear of being jumped over. Yeah. <laughs> so amazing programs, camps, after school programs. You've got a lot going on with that, which is is amazing and, and just more kids on bikes. Let's talk a little bit about your stores. You've got a smaller shop at the 8th Street Market area, which is, I think you call your demo center. And yep. then you've got your store just off Highway 71, north end of Bentonville. Tell me a little bit about that store. It's 5,000 square foot. It's not all retail. What, what do you use that space for? Yeah, you know, we just to back up from that question for a second, it's sort of like, well, why do we have retail stores? I think is an interesting topic because we wanted to get out of retail and we promised ourselves we wouldn't be back into bicycle <laughs> retail. And now here we are. But it really came Oops. up. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Careful. We want to provide 360 degree support for families. And I think that's what is needed so that we do have success in adoption and getting more families on bikes. And equipment is a big part of it. So we started realizing through the classes that we were running that the parents are coming with bikes that weren't always optimized for their child. And the parents didn't know, right? They don't know what bikes to buy or what size or what kind of equipment to look for. So we started selling bikes out of our programs and then realized that there was an opportunity to do that in a more meaningful way and to really create sort of a new shopping experience for parents and for families so that they had dedicated support around the youth category. But we also wanted to have indoor riding space so that we had sort of an all-weather riding facility. So the store that I'm sitting in right now is really more of a ride center than a store. I mean, yes, we have 2,000 square feet of retail. If you're watching the video, you can see behind me, there's a bunch of bikes, but we consider it more like a pro shop. It's like, if you go to a golf course, you're going to walk through the pro shop before you go out to the golf course. So this is sort of the pro shop for our riding facilities. So we also have about 2,500 square feet of indoor riding space that's dedicated for preschool classes and elementary learn to pedal classes. So we can do that year round, all weather. And then in the backyard, we have an acre of land where we have skills trails and just great open grass areas where we can do different activities with kids. We can start our bike clubs there. We run races in our backyard. We do all kinds of programming outside as well. So it's sort of this hybrid of indoor outdoor riding plus yeah, retail as well. What percentage of your classes are the indoor younger classes? What's the split on that? Yeah, more of our classes are outdoors. So I would say, I haven't looked at that percentage-wise, but I would say the indoor classes are probably 15 or 20% of what we do. Okay. Yeah, Um, we do classes all over the community. So we don't just do classes here at our facility. We deploy our coaches all around Northwest Arkansas, and we're in Kansas City now too. So we do a lot of programming at other facilities, parks and rec facilities, all kinds of different places. So. In Kansas City, is it your team going there or have you developed a a team there that's replicating what you're doing in Bentonville? Yeah, we've hired individual team members up in Kansas City. Okay. And that's the goal is to keep replicating what we're doing here in Bentonville, have Bentonville be the epicenter, the headquarters, the best example of what we provide, but then create satellite markets. Cool. What does Ride It Daily Extended Service do for your customers? It protects and maintains their bikes. What does Ride It Daily Extended Service do for you? It pays you your shop rate for warranty and extended service claims. Why wouldn't you sign up for Ride It Daily Extended Service? It's only available to NBDA members, and you can find out more about rides at nbda.com. So you were mayor in in Victor, Idaho. You learned some things there. Has that helped you in working with the city of Bentonville and putting your your programs into the community? Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that. It has. I've learned a lot of patience. A lot of patience comes when you're elected (laughs) official. (laughs) And you realize... So you've got the the patience of a bike store owner and an elected official. It's like a superpower. (laughs) Yeah, I might just go sit in a cave for the next 10 years. Yeah. Don't, please don't. Yeah, <laughs> please don't. Please keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, working with parks and rec departments, it's always different. Everyone is different. We work with a lot of them. We work with 
five different municipalities around Northwest Arkansas. We work with about the same number up in Kansas City. And every parks and rec department is totally different. Every city is totally different in how they operate. And so what I learned as mayor first and what we learned with Buddy Pegs is like, there's a, a great deal of patience required to bring something like a bike camp into a new community. And what seems so obvious to us and hopefully obvious to everyone that listens to this podcast is so not obvious to a parks and rec recreation manager, right? A bike camp? Like, what do you mean? How could you do a bike camp? That makes no sense. I've never heard of that. So the challenge we have as an industry is just educating everyone around, hey, bikes are just like every other sport. And that's one of our big goals is to, like, we oftentimes don't think of, of ourselves in the bike industry. We really want to be in the youth sports industry. And I, I really believe that's where bikes ought to be positioned so that we're not this outside individual pastime full of nostalgia. We are like a modern vertical in youth sports. And I think bicycling deserves to be that. We deserve to be right alongside soccer. The life skills that kids learn on bikes is tremendous. And everyone needs to really understand that for biking to be adopted as it should, right? So when we are talking with a Parks and Rec new partner, it takes patience to educate them about bikes and why bikes are important and why their families might be interested in cycling programming and why that cycling programming relates to the other sports that they're already offering and stop looking at it as a different thing. It's the same thing. It's like, we're going to launch a new basketball league. No, we're launching a new bike program. doesn't have to be different. So let's just say you're going to pitch a new program to the community in, in Bentonville and you're working with the city. What are the long-term effects of your programs that the city will realize or that the, you know, what will the city learn from working with you? Well, it's maybe two questions. What will they learn and and what are some of the long-term outcomes? Yeah. Well, what I think they'll learn, what I hope they'll learn, and the primary reason why we're in Bentonville, there's so much momentum here in Bentonville, as, as many people realize, right? There's an incredible amount of infrastructure development going on, but beyond the infrastructure development and the reason why we decided to move here beyond just the infrastructure, which, yeah, is world-class. It's amazing. But it's the people that are here. And there's a, a deep entrepreneurial spirit that's based in this community. And people really, for one, really support entrepreneurs and business owners. And it's just a great business community here, an entrepreneur community. But there's innovative thinking here. So it really helps to combine those things like infrastructure development and innovative thinking and One thing that I really like people to understand from my perspective about Bentonville is it's not just because there's the Walton family here that can fund projects and there's like a deeper checkbook. It's that there's truly a vision, right? Like people are thinking about creating a future state. Sure, it happens quicker here because there are financial resources to make it accelerate, but it can happen anywhere with good vision. And the vision is here. And so what we hope that our programming will help City officials, parks and rec officials, advocacy members of the community realizes that infrastructure is only one piece of it, right? That the if you build it, they will come strategy is effective, but only up to a certain point. So what we look at here in Arkansas is that Arkansas is on the top five unhealthiest states list. And I think, you know, setting another goal, like I think as a state, we should be trying to get off that list. Yeah. So, you know, no bragging rights with that one. Yeah, exactly. And that relates also to Benton County, where we are in Bentonville. It's not that Benton County as a whole is super healthy or super active. It's more active than most, and it's going in the right direction. And we're seeing a lot of pickup and adoption. But statistically, we still have a lot, a long way to go. So what I'm really hoping is that we and others who do programming, we've got lots of great program providers here in Bentonville and in other places around the country, but start to really educate the decision makers that, yeah, Definitely build the infrastructure, but make sure you layer programming on top of it so you welcome people into using that infrastructure. We work with parents all the time who have no idea the pathway network we have, the trail network we have, the different riding facilities to use. They need to be welcomed in, right? They need to be given that opportunity to say, hey, you could be, we call them adventure parents. You could be an adventure parent too. Like you might look at, an SUV with bike racks on the back and stickers on the bike racks and some fancy bikes and think that's not me. And I don't know what that, but it could be like, you could be an adventure family and we're going to help you develop into that if you want to. 
and at your own pace. So I think long answer there, Chad, but I think we have an opportunity to really show that programming is super important, equally important to the infrastructure. Okay. Do you have any long-term, I mean, other than getting 30 million kids on bikes, are you tracking anything locally, the health or use of trails as kids grow up? That's another phase of growth for us. We're still a young company, so we're not sophisticated to that level yet. We're tracking our own individual participation. We had 3,800 kids come through our program last year. So that's an easy number for us to pull and really celebrate. But in terms of health behavior shifts and changes, it's a little bit above our pay grade right now to really track that amount of data. We're really focused on just deploying the programming that we do. But all the health departments in every county are tracking that data. So we do hope that long-term, we start to see uptick in positive change in all those statistics around activity rate. Like activity rate is tracked by every county in America. And statistically, we can look at that number and will it be us that really changes that? No, but collectively as a community, if we have good infrastructure, if we have programming, if we have events, if we have support, we should see the activity rate go up as one example. And having done some organized tours through looking at some of the different Bentonville facilities, the one thing that sticks in my head is going by some of the elementary schools and just seeing these bike racks completely stacked with bikes and kind of imagining, you know, what is the long-term effects of that as a child grows up through middle school, high school, maybe gets behind a car and, and maybe doesn't, maybe stays on a bike. And it just, I love it. It's great. So you've got your retail stores, you got your classes. It's just you and your wife doing all of it. <laughs> I know. It, it was for a while, for sure. Yeah. We've got an amazing team now. And yeah, have, let's talk about your, your team a little bit. I'm sure tons of training and alignment with goals and core values. What's that process like? You already mentioned I'm hired. What's my onboarding? Well, first we have to teach you how to teach because it sounds like you're not a great coach yet, but you've got the right passion. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And that's really what we, what we do look for at first. You know, we look for people who are passionate about getting kids on bikes. And so they don't have to be advanced riders. We don't look for extreme mountain bikers or really proficient riders. They have to own a bike and be connected to cycling and know how to ride and care about biking. But more than that, we look for kid magic and the ability to really work with kids and have fun with kids and be present with kids because being present is a huge part of what we teach our coaches. And if you're not present with the kids, you've lost, right? If you're too in your head thinking about whatever is going on in your world, or even just thinking too much about the curriculum or the lesson plan for the day, you're missing the point of being present with a kid and really connecting biking to a fun experience. So the team is made up of, we have a program manager that hires and trains all the coaches and deploys all the coach scheduling and all the logistics. We have a family champion who manages all the events, customer onboarding. We have a membership program now. So when families come to us and they become a BuddyPegs member, they go through a, a sort of a concierge level onboarding. And then our family champion is there for them, texting them all the time, having communications with them about different classes, answering questions, being a meaningful support member of their team. We've got a whole retail team, a retail manager, retail staff that helps staff the store, mechanic, and about 35 coaches. And that number is always in flux. It kind of swells up in the summer, shrinks down a little bit in the winter as programming isn't as busy as the summer months. So we've got yeah, a central admin team here in Bentonville. And that's the goal is to continue to build that central admin team here in Bentonville and then build coaching teams in different communities around. Awesome. Any communities you're targeted, uh, Kansas City, any other communities you're looking into? Yes. There's a lot that we're looking into. We're really focused right now on just pouring a lot of energy into... We're in three communities right now. So for 2023, it's all about doing more in the communities we're already in. So that's Bentonville and the surrounding towns, Fayetteville, Arkansas, half an hour down the road, but its own community in those surrounding towns, and then Kansas City and in those surrounding communities, those suburbs there. But Bentonville's in such an amazing spot. I mean, it's the bullseye center of these incredible oftentimes overlooked emerging family-friendly cities. We've got everything from obviously Kansas City, but St. Louis, Tulsa, Oklahoma City. We've got Little Rock. Dallas is right down the road. There's a lot of interesting places where we could see Buddy Pegs going in the next circle of growth. But a lot of people are reaching out now around the country. And I think we've got a lot of thinking to do next winter about where we go next. Sure. 
do you have families? I mean, you mentioned bike camps, but do you have families coming into Bentonville to take advantage of your programming? And that's their that's their family trip, or maybe it's their summer? Yeah, we do for sure. That's another amazing thing about Bentonville is that it's a drive market for so many different families and so many different cities that come down here for their vacation. So we do camps during all of the typical family vacation times. So we do Thanksgiving camps, winter break camps, spring break camps, summer camps. And we've got lots of families who come and take those camps. So a family coming in from Dallas for a week in Bentonville, it's a great opportunity for them to plug in their kid into a Buddy Pegs camp while they you know, they go ride as a family, as a married couple for a couple hours and their kids in a camp. And then they all come back together for a family adventure in the afternoon. Yeah, I'd sign up. <laughs> <laughs> My kids are all growing up. Okay. So we've got a lot of retailers that listen to the podcast. So for a retailer who wants to offer programming for youth or families, what's an easy point of entry? What advice could you give them to look to doing programs for youth? I mean, they are tomorrow's cyclists. I mean, if we can get them on bikes when they're young. There's just so much that cycling can offer them as, as they grow up. Yeah, there really is. And I don't want it to feel daunting from a retailer's perspective of, oh, geez, we've got so much work to do to try to figure all this out. But I think an easy place to enter is just thinking about learn to pedal classes, offering something in your parking lot, get some ropes and cones and just cordon off a dozen parking spaces on a Sunday afternoon and just offer a learn to pedal class. Be fair warned. It's a little bit daunting at first. Like if you haven't done it, I think that it is, it's daunting, no doubt. But I think every retailer should give it a try and really think about getting that experience firsthand. And many retailers do. So there's lots of retailers that do this. But I think you really need to know what it's like to try to teach multiple kids how to ride a bike, not just your own kid or you did it once or twice or whatever, but take the training wheels off, take the pedals off teach a child to just walk around and balance on a bike or use a balance bike. And I think it's eye-opening to have that experience. And I think we all in the bike industry should have a lot of stamps, you know, like a fighter pilot's got all their stamps of like the kills that they've got in the in dog fights, you know, <laughs> maybe that's a little bit of an aggressive analogy, but like, you maybe. know, every retailer should have a bunch of stamps yeah. of like how many kids they taught how to ride a bike. Yeah. <laughs> Let's work on a different analogy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got to work on that one. No, but I, I love that. Like, how cool it's like the stickers on the football helmets, you know? Yeah, for yeah, 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 exactly. I love it. Just put them right in the storefront, right on the front window. Yeah. And I think offering routes and challenges, simple ideas around creating some family friendly routes, creating some family friendly challenges that your existing customers can do on a regular basis can be great. Try to make sure that there's no pressure applied by the parents. Don't make it too daunting, simple things, ice cream rides, things like that are great. Do you guys do any big family events throughout the year other than your camps? Just like one day show up and hang out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do a whole bunch of different things, a whole bunch of different family events. One to really note is we do the Family Trail Cat Challenge here in Bentonville. So it's a scavenger hunt on bikes, happens every spring break. And we use a digital app where we load it with a bunch of missions and challenges. It's a one day, you know, it's based on like alley cat racing, you know, kind of a play on alley yes. cat racing. <laughs> you don't know what the challenges or destinations are going to be until the day of the event. And then we create different concentric rings of distance. So if you're in the kitten category, you might only ride a couple of miles. And then your cat category, beast category, you go farther and farther and look for different challenges and then take selfie pictures, answer riddles, et cetera. And it all gets posted to a digital app, scoreboards accumulate big celebration party at the end with awards and a band and super fun time. It sounds like a lot of fun. And I think an, an alley cat as a family could be a lot of fun. <laughs> it is. It's a blast. So where do you see the future of the industry headed? How can a retailer today position themselves to thrive or drive a, a cycling community? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's such a crux question. And, and I don't know that I really have the right answer. I think that the experience side of biking is really important or really any industry, right? Any, any retailer should be thinking about experience, should be thinking about service, should be thinking about really creating a meaningful relationship with their customer that's not just transactional around the product sale. But many of us have heard that through the years, right? I think most retailers kind of know that that's something they should be thinking about. But the reality is like the traditional retail model in, in bikes feels to me pretty broken. The margin structure is, is not healthy for the retailer. We live and die by these cyclical inventory supply chain issues. 
obviously we've seen a lot of that in the past couple of years with COVID, but whether we're in a pandemic or not, oftentimes we still ride those waves and there's a glut of inventory and then there's discounting and then there's dumping and then we're stuck with inventory that we can't get rid of. And then we're behind on payments or there's just so much that comes with being tied to inventory management. So thinking about how to not be so saddled with the inventory management sort of like sword of Damocles hanging over your head. I don't have the answer for that per se, but I do believe that retailers should be thinking super hard about how they can diversify their revenue streams and and how they're being a, a meaningful contributor to their customers' lives beyond just selling them something, a product, selling them a product. Sure. What can we do as an industry to continue to fuel growth for families on bikes and kids specifically? You've already said it's not just having the product combination, services, experiences, and products. Yeah, it's, you know, it's it's another area where we've really thought pretty deeply about, and I'm pretty opinionated on this topic for sure. <laughs> I don't know if I've got it right, so yeah. you know, since you asked, yeah, <laughs> I'll share some thoughts. But I think first of all, from the brand's perspective, right? So specialty brands, manufacturers, like stop shipping youth bikes with training wheels. Full stop. Don't do that anymore. It's so bad for getting kids on bikes. It wastes money. It's a waste of resources. Most of them go in the landfill. And it sends an incredibly conflicting message to retailers who are receiving that product and the parents about how kids should learn how to ride. It's not about training wheels. Training wheels is the wrong way to teach kids how to ride bikes. So why do the biggest brands in the industry still ship bikes with training wheels? Well, one of the reasons is the retailers don't have a way to store, display a 12 or 14 inch wheel bike. So figure that out, create a bike rack that fits, you know, 12 and 14 inch wheel bikes. But when you walk into a retailer and you see balance bikes next to a training wheel bike, that's a mistake. We got to figure that out and stop doing that. And I think that takes an investment in time for the whole industry to really understand how a child learns how to ride a bike at every stage of progression and then make bikes that truly support each milestone and put effort into that. I think from the retailer standpoint, it's sort of the same message. like invest in training your staff about the learning progression of kids learning how to ride. Take the time to understand the physical, the emotional, the developmental stages of learning how to ride a bike, especially at the preschool ages, and recognize and really know that kids should learn how to pedal a bike independently without training wheels at three or four years old. That's when kids should be pedaling. It's not about five, six, seven, eight years old. It's three and four-year-olds should be pedaling a bike. Now, every kid is different and there's going to be differences in progression, but that's sort of the goal. I think that knowing about wheel size is really important. We see a lot of bikes come through our programs sold by retailers and they're just, the kids are on the wrong wheel size. And I think there's an opportunity for training there, like where every frontline retailer should know what wheel size a five-year-old goes on and a four-year-old goes on just on the top of their head, like, oh, you got a four-year-old kid. Let me show you the 16-inch wheel bikes. You don't have to think about it and wonder, well, bring the kid in and how tall are they and, and all that. Don't display bikes with training wheels if you're a retailer. Have them. Like if a parent wants a, a training wheel, sure, sell it to them. It's an add-on. It's like a kickstand, right? But don't display the bikes with them. Take the time. I've got a list here, Chad, so I hope you don't yeah, mind. No, you keep going. Opportunity to share a little bit. <laughs> Take the time to screw in the brake lever reach adjustments. If you're a retailer and you're selling a handbrake bike, your mechanic should be screwing in that reach lever adjustment during the build process, almost to the point where it touches the grip. It's going to feel way too close for an adult hand, but look at a child's hand gripping a handbrake. It should be way in and most of the handbrakes have reach adjustments, but they're coated in blue Loctite and they're hard to turn and they strip out really easily. We know this, right? So buy, go to your favorite tool store, right? A couple of them online you could look at and buy long two millimeter Allen wrenches, T-handled long Allens that go in and you don't get stuck like trying to turn a little tiny L wrench and have those be in all your workbenches so that mechanics can quickly and easily dial in those handbrakes. Put the headset spacers above the stems. Bikes get shipped with the stems all the way at the top of the stack. But kids buy bikes when they can first barely fit on the next size. So lower those handlebars down. Over time, you can move the spacers back under them. Don't inflate the tires too much. We see overinflated tires all the time. That's a huge thing. Kids don't weigh anything. Make them nice and soft. Okay, on the mass market side of things, just recognizing we all know, I think, but like we should talk about it. Most of the kids are going to buy their first bike at a mass market retailer. 
But the mass market needs to get pressured to evolve the geometry of kids' bikes. I mean, beyond the weight and the low quality components, we're not going to solve for that, right? But the geometry needs to evolve because the geometry is awful on those bikes. If you take off the training wheels and try to teach a kid to ride a bike the right way on one of those bikes, the bottom brackets are way too high. The seats are way too high. They can't even put their feet on the ground. And for whatever reason, the top tubes are tiny, right? So they're riding these bikes like circus bears and it's comical. But And it's no wonder they they hate it. It's no wonder why they hate it. I mean, it's like trying to teach a kid how to play baseball with like a stick and a rock, you know? Like it's not going (laughs) to work. There's a good analogy. (laughs) Here's some wooden skis and leather boots. Let me teach you how to ski, you know? They can maintain their margin. They can still sell heavy bikes with low quality components at the right price point, but they could evolve the geometry so that at least it's easier to ride. And honestly, when you take the training wheels off one of those bikes, they're dangerous to ride. The wheelbases are weird. The head tube angles are weird. The top tubes are so small that it's just dangerous. And then on the advocacy side of things, I would love to see bike advocacy get behind lobbying the CPSC, the Consumer Product Safety Commission, to do away with the regulations requiring coaster brakes. Because coaster brakes are just as bad as training wheels. It really hinders a child's learning progression, and it's dangerous. The mental ability for a child to go from thinking about pedaling forward to thinking about pedaling backwards is not a safer way to brake. And handbrakes have evolved now. We have light action, powerful handbrakes. And I can tell you from firsthand experience with thousands of kids, you can teach a two-year-old how to use a handbrake and they get it. So we got to get rid of that old regulation because we still have the big brands shipping coaster wheel brakes on all their kids' bikes and it's not doing us any favors. And I also think that understanding the messaging pillars that resonate with modern parents is important. I don't think we should get behind childhood obesity or the nostalgic feeling of freedom as we had on kids on bikes, but think about developing some messaging strategy around what screen time is really doing to childhood and how bikes can be a player in that. And figure out some ways, this isn't easy, but figure out some ways to really talk about the year over year incredible rise in childhood anxiety, depression, and suicide in the middle school years. It's a real thing. And bikes can play a role in that. Bikes are a solution for creating those stronger, healthier kids, more connected families. And I'd love to see us just like really double down on that messaging and think about how we can reposition bikes to be a, a truly meaningful part of childhood. Yeah. And even even as an adult, I have employees that tell me, uh, it's time for you to go for a ride today. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. I, I'm sure you understand that. That is a great list of things. I absolutely love it. I love setting up kids' bikes for kids. And we talk about as adults, wheel sizes, and you've got someone that's six foot eight on a two niner with a handlebar that's a yard wide. That also works for the kids. They need something that's built proportionate to their bodies and their hands and and even their weight. We don't need to lock up the wheel for us on a kid's bike if we're test riding a BMX bike or whatever, just because kids are lighter weight and don't take yeah, as much to stop them. Yeah, totally. And I think that putting a little bit of time into thinking about educating the product managers a little bit more about what really works for kids. It's even like something as simple as like the pedals, right? Like kids' bikes come often with the tiny little pedals. And I get the logic, like small foot, small pedal. But really, kids need a bigger pedal because they don't have the coordination to always get their feet landing on the pedal. So like, we love selling adult pedals on all the bikes that come with the tiny little pedals because then they have a huge platform to aim for and they've got more stability. And if their foot bounces a little bit, they're still on the pedal. It's like simple things that we can change to just make it easier for a kid to learn. It's like going back to that baseball analogy. Give a kid a lightweight aluminum bat, they're going to have you know an easier time learning how to swing the bat. Like, mm-hmm. Give them good equipment. So watching kids grow up, come through your programs, maybe some that started at an older age are in college. Do they ever come back and visit? Yeah. You know, we're still a pretty young company. So we haven't had that level of progression yet in age. Yet. I like that. But (laughs) we definitely are seeing it now in terms of incredible change happening within kids and families from preschool kids that used to be in here. And now they're buying a 24-inch bike and going on huge rides and it's amazing to watch it. And what's the most amazing thing and what gets us the most fired up is when we see the whole family get into it. It happens all the time. We get a lot of families who aren't bike families coming through our programs. And next thing you know, mom and dad are like, well, I can't run after them anymore on the greenway because they're riding too fast. I guess I need to get a bike. And then they become a biking family and then they start going on adventures together. And it's just, it gives you chills to watch it happen. Yeah, it it is one of those 
was just thinking, it is one of those sports where kids have so much energy and I think can pick up those skills much quicker than adults. So they can share that experience almost at the same level as opposed to tennis, like an adult tennis player and a child playing tennis. I mean, it seems so different, but ride out in Bentonville and you see these little scrappers riding the same stuff that their parents are. And yeah, sometimes it's, the parents are holding the kids back. Probably, yeah, no, no doubt for sure. Yeah. You know, it's like a- another big asset of bikes is that it's not a sideline sport, right? It doesn't position mom or dad on the sideline watching a kid play and then not having any opportunity to, I mean, sure. Yeah. You can throw the ball in the front yard and, and kick a soccer ball around with your, with your child. And those are really important team sports, youth sports. I'm not against them. I love them. My son participates as well, but bikes offer an opportunity for families to go out and do it together and do it for life. I mean, I was on a ride recently where we had one of our buddy peg students who's like seven years old and her mom and dad were on the ride and her grandparents were there on e-bikes and we're all going mountain biking together. And it was just amazing to watch this all happen. And it's like, this is amazing. This is truly a lifetime sport that the whole family can do together. And again, what an amazing asset we have as a bike industry to like talk about that and and build support around that. It doesn't just happen. It does happen organically for a lot of families, but it could happen for a lot more families if we collectively put that energy behind it. Incredible. So what's coming up five years down the road? I mean, we want to have 30 million kids on bikes, but what are, what are some of the other things you have coming up? Yeah. I mean, we're looking to expand. So we, we do want to create impact and be leaders in the space. So for us, it's all about continuing to hone our systems. It takes a lot of systems to be able to manage this level of programming. So the technology, oftentimes we feel like we're a technology company for as much like platform management and, and all that that we do. So in the next five years, we are looking to grow into more markets, hire more coaches and develop training opportunities. We'd love to welcome coaches from around the country to come here to Bentonville and take training classes at our facility. It's really well laid out for that. So keep an eye out for that, for some coach certification programs rolling out and just try to spread the knowledge more and collectively like share the wisdom. We're not the only ones doing it. And I think we've made some incredible strides and and we're pushing in some really innovative ways, but there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work out there. And I think we just need to come together and really develop more momentum collectively around these goals. But first, let's get a goal, right? Like, let's all share a goal and then go get the goal. How can the industry help you? I mean, we've got a lot of retailers listening, some vendors. What are the problems that you need to solve or that you need help with other than spreading that goal? Yeah. You know, I really think from the industry standpoint, it's what I mentioned before. It's like, let's figure out the product side of it. It's got to happen. Sometimes we're pushing a rope using the product that we have. Now, there's some amazing brands out there that we work with. I mean, we're so fortunate to have the support of like womb bicycles and pre-velo bikes who are really doing amazing things for evolving and innovating the right equipment for the right ages of kids. But everybody needs to get on board with some of these basic tenets of how bikes get constructed. So I think that's a really big piece of it. And then just collectively adopting this mindset of how we talk about bikes, how we message around it. Because one of the problems with bikes, and this is a problem, is that there's too many good things to talk about with bikes. <laughs> So we talk about all of it, right? And we yeah. like we spray all of this amazing, all the attributes of bikes that we love in different ways. And I think it can almost get confusing or it can start to muddy the waters a little bit. Like what's the one or two things that we can really lean in on that parents will pick up on to create that momentum? And then we can tell them about all the other things later on, you know, once we get them on the saddle. So we've covered a lot of stuff. We've covered your journey from mayor to retailer to outspoken educator, bike educator. What's something that I haven't asked you that you, you want to share with our audience? More of the same, just more. <laughs> <laughs> it's a tough one. You mentioned before we started here, this question was coming and there were a couple of things that I was going to mention, but you really covered so much. You know, you asked some great questions, Chad. So there's nothing really burning. So keep up the good work on your end and keep asking <laughs> the questions because you're nailing it. Oh, thank you. Invite people down there. I'll ask that question or I'll say it for you. Go to Bentonville, go to Buddy Pegs, go check it out. I imagine someone could come find a schedule and just see a class going on somewhere, I suppose. Yeah, you can go to our website, buddypegs.com and see all the info that we've got going on there. And please do come visit Bentonville. I would love to ride with you and, and show you around. But also, I'm a really big fan of Bentonville. The reason why we're here is to add to the momentum that's already going on here, right? 
And the reason why I think it's such a special place is because I do think it's replicable and I don't think it's a unicorn. And I think a lot of communities could be doing exactly what Bentonville is doing. And that was why we wanted to be here because we wanted to contribute to this place that can serve as a model and help show other communities like this could be a reality, right? Like we could have communities like this all around the country with neighborhoods connected by single track, right? And all kinds of programming going on and collective lifestyle around bikes. It's working. And I think people should come and see it and sort of maybe see it with open eyes and not just look at it through the lens of, oh, there's a lot of funding here to make this possible. It's not about the funding. It's about the vision. And it takes somebody listening to this podcast to create that vision in their own community and leverage what's going on here in Bentonville and say like, look, it's being done. And there's playbooks and there's templates and there's analogies that, that we can build off of. So yeah, it's exciting to be here and, and I want everyone to come and check it out. Yeah. I mean, I second that. It's a great place to visit. So for our listeners that might have additional questions or want to contact you, what's the best way for them to get a hold of you or to learn more? Yeah. They can just shoot me an email, scott at buddypegs.com. I'm always looking to hear from others around the country who are doing cool work or interested in what we're doing. So shoot me an email and let's connect. Awesome. Scott, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate the time we had. And I look forward to coming down there in in a little bit and seeing you. Maybe get a ride in together. I would love it. Okay, we'll do it. All righty. Thanks, Thank you. You bet. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bicycle Retail Radio. This podcast is designed specifically for the bicycle industry, dedicated to strengthening our retailers and cycling community. If it is your first episode, we urge you to take the time and listen to our past episodes. Support the show by first subscribing, then share your favorite episode online with friends. You can go one step further and leave a review. It helps members of our industry find our podcast. Special thanks to NBDA Development Director Rochelle Scouten for editing and promotional graphics. Music provided by Joel Picard.